Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Amen. We've been talking about the we've been talking about the space between the time when you pray and say amen. And then when you see your prayers answered, you say, the space between the amen and there it is. What do you do while you're waiting? It's extremely important that we do the right thing while we're waiting. And oftentimes, the reason we don't see a breakthrough of manifestation is because we have not waited correctly or we've not stayed in faith. Now, I think sometimes we have a little bit to do with how long that wait is. Now, I understand that God is working things in our lives. He's orchestrating things in your life and, and, and things going around, on around you. And so, there is a sense of thing of God's timing, and He's never late, always does things perfectly, so we can trust Him, absolutely. But sometimes we wait longer than we have to because we have not learned how to wait in faith and receive or there it is. Receive what we have prayed for. So I'm going to do a quick flyover and a recap here. Quickly look at some of our prayer verses. We said, now look, prayer really works. John 16, 24 says, until now, Jesus said, until now you've asked nothing in my name. You've asked the Father nothing in my name. Then he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full or complete. 1 John 4, 14, 15, remember? Now, this is the confidence. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his word, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. Now, sometimes when you don't see breakthrough, we don't see the answers immediately after you pray. It's easy to get a little discouraged. And there's also a danger of, accept, of coming to the conclusion, to the false conclusion. If you're praying according to God's will and it's not happening, then some people actually begin to doubt that it's God's will. And they say, well, I suppose the reason it hasn't happened is that it just isn't God's will. How many people have short-circuited their own prayers because they prayed and finally they believed that lie of the enemy and they backed away from their faith and they said, well, maybe God just really is not going to do that. Maybe, listen, d delay, sometimes there's delay, but delay is not denial. Stay in prayer, in faith. Don't give up. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. Whoever says to this mountain, this is Jesus speaking again, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them when you pray. Go ahead and believe that you have them. And you shall have them. These are astounding words. And we have to say, well, are they true? Will they really work? I haven't always seen that happen in my life. 
So what's the problem? Why isn't it working? And there's a lot of different factors in that, and we've talked about that before, and the reason why there might be a delay in seeing a breakthrough or answer to your prayer. But you've got to come down to the bottom line is trust God. That if you ask according to His will, you can believe, you can receive, you can know that it's real. Now, there may be some things that are preventing it from manifestation or having your there it is moment, but that's why it's important not to give up. It's important to learn to pray the right way. So one of the reasons people are not having an effective, uh, an effective prayer life is because they're not praying effective prayers. So it must begin with a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Your prayer level is going to be parallel to your level of relationship or fellowship with Christ. He says, you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll ask whatever you will. The problem is in our relationship, Tom, uh, or sometimes in our relationship, and the problem is, is that uh, we are not, we're, we're not developing that relationship. We, we, are, we, are, we don't understand that when you come to Christ and you're forgiven, the Bible says you are now in right standing. Made righteous, that's what that means. Made righteous, you're in right standing. So he said, you don't have to be ashamed to approach God. That's a, that's a tool that the enemy and sometimes other people will use on you and say, look, you don't have any right. To, look what you did this week. Look how you talked to someone. You don't have any right to come and believe that God's going to hear your prayer. Well, I'm thankful that uh, when we came to Christ, we, need, we do need to live right. We do need to line up our words and our actions and be Christ-like, absolutely. But we're not made righteous by our own righteous acts and doing good. We're made righteous through the blood, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, he who knew no sin, Christ, became sin or took it upon himself that we who have sinned might become the righteousness of God in him. This is absolutely amazing. Understand that when you pray, maybe you need to seek the Lord's forgiveness. Maybe you repent of some things, yes, but understand that through Christ you are now in right standing. You're not... You're not standing in a place of judgment. You can approach him boldly in prayer. Pray effectively. You need to base your prayers on the word of God. His will, not your promises, not your wishes, not on any selfish need, but meditate in the word and learn to pray according to the word. Thirdly, you need to hold fast, hold fast to your confession. In other words, once you've prayed and believed, don't waver. Don't waver. Then you need to guard your heart because there's so many things that will come against you. Disobedience and sins, unforgiveness, things that you can open yourself up to and it will hinder your prayer life. So guard your heart. And finally, be proactive in your praying. In other words, don't just pray and walk away and forget it. Be proactive in your praying. Resist the devil. Come boldly to the throne of grace. In other words, when you pray, have a tenacious spirit. Have a look. I am praying. I am not giving up. God has heard my prayer and this is going to happen because by faith I've already received. A lot of times people are apologetic in their prayers. You have to learn to be tenacious. Now this is not bossing God around. He's God. We're not. But it honors the Father for you to believe what He says. I'll say that again. It honors your father if you will believe what he says. And when he says he will hear and answer your prayers, then you're not some begging child 
pleading some father who reluctantly may bless you or help you, your heavenly father wants to give good gifts to his children. His heart is set on you. Develop that kind of attitude when it comes to praying and receiving from God. After you pray, learn to, write, learn to wait the right way. Don't waste your waiting with impatience or wavering or complaining. You know how many people's prayers have been shot down because of complaining? You know, one of the opposites of complaining is praise. You know, breakthrough through prayer can often come through praise and thanksgiving, not just asking requests. Well, I thank you. I praise you, Lord. You've heard and answered my prayer. And you don't have to focus on asking God. He's already promised. You received. You've lined up with his will. Then praise him. Thank you, Lord, in every situation. I am more than a conqueror. In every situation, you promised me victory. You have promised that, you, that these, I can believe and trust your word and you'll bring it to pass. Learn to confess these things. Learn to say them. And don't waste your waiting time. Use it as a valuable time of pray, preparing so that when the, there it is gets there, you'll be ready. You get that? Amen. That's so important. So we've been looking at four things. We talked about the first two. Today we're going to hit on the last two. Four things that will help you during this time of waiting between the time of the amen and the there it is. Remember, first we said it's important to stay focused. Everybody together, when I pray and wait, I will stay focused. I will stay focused. I'm not going to get distracted. There's so much there's so much junk going on around me. There are things happening, things that are, that are vying for my attention. And, and I, I'm going to stay focused. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the completer of your faith. Set your mind on things that are above, eternal, instead of temporary things. Learn to be laser focused on what you have prayed about and what you believe the word, what God has promised you. Secondly, last week we talked about raise your expectations. So first we stay focused and secondly we do what? We raise our expectations. Help me out here. We raise our expectations. You can pray and then there's kind of like this little gauge uh, that goes high and low and you, you know and you pray and you, when you pray and you just really build yourself up in the word and man this Lord, I believe it's like, like you're straining. People sometimes strain when they pray. And you're struggling, you're praying, Lord, I believe. You're trying to talk yourself into believing. Lord, I believe, I believe. And so you're trying to build yourself up to a place to where you've got this sense of hope and maybe even moving from hope to real expectation. But then things happen. You confront difficulties. Somebody says something Somebody says something smart at you, you know, someone accuses you of something, you get into arguments and you get, you are, you know, you get a past due bill or statement or your, your appliance breaks down at home and you've had your level of faith, you know, I believe, thank you God, you've heard me ask your prayer and then bang, 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 these things begin to come and then that level, that, that level of hope and expectation kind of does like this. 
And so that's why it's important. When these things happen and you see yourself wavering and your expectation begin to go down, that's when you need to build yourself back up by the words. When you need to encourage yourself, remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of what God has promised you. Go back and think about the times that God has answered your prayer. And see those things. Say, God, I know that you're faithful and true. I've seen it at work in my life before. And no matter what's going on around me, I am not turning this loose. I'm not letting go. And raise your expectations. Psalm 62, verse 5, the Bible says, My soul, or all that I am, wait patiently or silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. You see, in order for you to move from that place of requesting and praying and a place of need in your life to a place of manifestation, there it is. First of all, you recognize there's a need. But don't complain and whine about the need. Recognize that the need is there. Understand you have a Father that you can come and approach, you can come to, you can approach in prayer and ask, make your request known. And then you base what you're praying on what God has already promised you in his word. And so you know you're asking something that lines up with his will. When you pray that way and you continue to focus on his word, what happens is you get that knowledge down inside of you and it becomes more than just words on a page or something you read or something you say you believe. It becomes something that you believe is real. It's, it, it's true. Down, and you get it on the inside of you. And as you get it on the inside of you and you begin to confess it, you begin to, to look forward to it, it grows. You see, you can't have faith for what you don't know. is If you don't know something is available, you can't believe for it. That's why it's important to know the Word. You can't have faith unless you already know what God has promised you. Not real faith. So you go from that place of knowledge, information, you build, grow up in an understanding of the Word and God's will. And that, that develops into where the, there's hope and anticipation that comes. And then that kind of jumps up to another level of real expectation, which we'll call faith, that says, hey, I don't see this yet, but it's already mine, and I will pursue this. I will stay in faith until I see my there it is. There's a difference between hope and faith. You must have hope before you can have faith. But you can have hope and still not have faith, remember? Expectation must be more than faith, must be more than hope. Expectation has to lead to faith. And understand this, expectation is the final step. Real faith is the final step before you see the manifestation, the answer to your prayers. So instead of just wishing and hoping, Learn to live in an atmosphere of expectation, of faith. Today, the third thing we talk about is not only do I learn how to wait between the amen, there it is, but I stay, I'll stay focused. I'll raise my expectations, but I'm going to just learn to stand. I'm standing on it. I'll stand. Now, that means to take a stand, take a position, in faith and confidence. Another word we could say, I'm going to be determined. I am determined. I will prevail. In other words, quit quitting. Quit quitting. When it comes to those times in between praying and receiving and you have some things going on, 
Quit quitting. Don't give up on your prayers. Don't give up. Quit quitting. Be patient. Be persistent. Don't let the devil persuade you to quit before you have the answer. Hebrews 6, 15, chapter 6, verse 15, says, After Abraham patiently endured, he obtained his promise. He held the promise of God in his heart even when he didn't see it with his eyes. That makes sense to you guys? Anybody? Okay. I, I knew it did. You just were so enthralled with what I was saying there. It was hard to know you're supposed to answer this, this is, we need to learn. Listen, this will help you. This is just practical stuff that will help you if you can learn to live your life this way. Be steadfast and unmovable. The scripture says, firmly fixed in place. Psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. That's focused because he's at my right hand. He's by my side. He's my strength. I shall not be moved or shaken. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he'll sustain you and he will never permit the righteous to be moved or shaken. That's, that's, that's quite a promise, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great resurrection chapter in the Bible, in verse 58 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be strong, steadfast, and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labors are not in vain in the Lord. Stand fast. Don't give up. Now, we're going to Mark chapter 5 for just, just a few minutes here. Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, and we'll turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at some verses there. And uh, we're going to see what we're talking about. We're going to see it lived out. We're going to see it demonstrated. And uh, you'll find what we're reading about, you'll also find recorded in the 8th chapter of Luke, and it's also in the ninth chapter of Matthew. Let me set this up. Jesus has been on uh, the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And you understand, standing by the Sea of Galilee is kind of like standing by one of the Great Lakes. It's like this is not a pond, you understand. Uh, it's a long ways across the lake. He's on the far side of the lake there, and they, they land on the lake, and one of the first things that comes up is this guy that's possessed with demons. You remember the story? He, this guy's possessed. He comes, and he throws himself down before Jesus. He falls down on his face before Jesus, and, as, and the demons in him cry, don't, don't, don't torment me. What are you doing here, Jesus? Don't torment, torment me. And Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, my name is Legion, talking about the numbers of demons, a demonic possession this man was going through. It said that all the people knew about him because he went out all throughout the, the, the tombs. He kind of lived in some of the, in the graveyard and the tombs there. And, and he would go all night long. They would hear him howling and he would cut himself and scream and howl. And he went about, he, he didn't have any clothes on. And he, he, uh, he was, it was a horrible sight. And of course, the demons understand that Jesus is the one that's in charge. And they plead with him, Lord, don't send us away to a far country. There's some, we say down south, there's some hogs over here. There's some pigs, a couple thousand of them over here. Send us into those bodies. Interesting account. They say, permit us to go in. You know, that tells you something about the authority of Christ. 
when the demons say, Jesus, can we have your permission to go into these pigs? Let me tell you, that's your Savior. That's your Jesus. That's the one that's in authority. He gave them permission. They went to the pigs. They run off the cliff and go down. See, they die. The man is completely delivered. Well, some of the folks, the farmers that were kind of watching the herd around there were so frightened by this, they ran back to town. They told everybody what they saw happen. They said, we told them about the man, the demons, and we told them about the pigs. I think it's interesting that they, they not only talked about what happened to the man, but they talked about what happened to the pigs. And the reason that was important to them is because those pigs were money to them. And they just lost a couple thousand of them. And so when they came, here's what they found. When they returned, here's what they found. They found the man who had been wild, demon-possessed, running every night and howling like an animal. They found him sitting there with Jesus, clothed and in the perfect mind. And they were astounded. In fact, it says kind of they were afraid at what happened. But the reaction of the people that came out to Jesus is rather shocking. They said, Jesus, we want you to get out of here. We want you to go. I think their mind was more on the pigs than they were on the deliverance of that guy. But they didn't know what to do, how to deal with that. The man wanted to follow Jesus. He said, I want to go with you, Jesus. Jesus said, you need to go back home to your family. Imagine what kind of reunion that must have been. Imagine. So they, Jesus gets back on board the ship with his disciples. They come back over to the other side of the sea uh, of Galilee and that's where we pick up on verse 41, uh, verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 21 of Mark 5. Look at this with me here. We're going to move rather quickly through this. Verse 21 in New Living Translation. Jesus got in the boat again and he went back to the other side of the lake. There was a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus or Jairus, depending on on. There's a lot of different pronunciations. The, the name of the man was Jairus arrived. He was a synagogue leader, a rabbi, if you will. It's a place of their house of worship and instruction. And when, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. You notice he had the same response to Jesus as the guy that was demon-possessed. When they came in the presence of Jesus, they fell on their feet. Worship, bow, submission. Kind of tells us something about maybe what our response should be. Just saying. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Look at Jesus' response to that. Jesus went with him. In other words, Jesus said, yes, I will. Let me tell you something. That's the kind of Lord we have that when you pray according to his will. Will you, Lord? He says, yes, I will. I will. He says, yes, I will. And, and as they began in that direction, going toward Jairus' home, all the people were following along and crowding around him. And then something happened. They were on their way. 
This little girl was dying. Her dad wanted help. Jesus said, all right, let's go. And the crowd was gathering around Jesus as they traveled and then something interrupted that journey. And we pick up at verse 25 where it says, a woman, unnamed woman, by the way, we don't know her name, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding or hemorrhaging. King James Version says an issue of blood. Here's her condition. She's had it for 12 years. She suffered tremendously from many doctors, it says. And she spent all of her money. She had to pay for this treatment. But it says she just had gotten worse. Verse 27, she heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd. Verse 28, for she thought to herself, King James Version says, for she said to herself, I, if, 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 if I can just touch his robe. Matthew, Matthew's version of this, Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, says, if I can touch the hem of his garment, then I will be well, I'll be healed. We think about garments and they wore robes that dress a little different than we do today, but we think about the hem. You know, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. But there's much more there than what really meets the eye, I believe. And that is, and this has been folded for a while, so it's kind of a, you can see the creases there. But the Jewish men of that day, in fact, according to writings in Deuteronomy and in and in Leviticus, I'm sorry, Numbers, uh, there are instructions given concerning what we call the talit, which is, this is actually, uh, we refer to it as a mantle. Remember the mantle of Elijah and the mantle of uh, Samuel, the talit. And this later was, became, uh, was referred to by the Jewish people as the prayer shawl, known as the prayer shawl. And... Um, there's a lot of symbolism here on it. But the Jewish men would normally wear this outer tune. They would wear a prayer shawl, wear it over their shoulders there. And on the, uh, on the end of this outer garment that he had, this has four corners. It has several little tassels around. But it has, this is the tallit. And on each corner, you'll see this, these knots and this tassel here. It's, the, this is called a zitzit. That's how it's pronounced up on the screen. Called a zitzit. It means fringe, hem. And this is tied, actually when you count all these knots here, numerically, and you add it up, it adds up to 613. 613 is exactly the number of the laws of Moses that are found in the Torah, in the Old Testament. And um, I think it's very likely when this woman was coming and following Jesus and he was wearing and he had, he had this fringe on the area of his outer garment and he had these at the four corners. This, this is a zitzit. She said, this is the hem of his garment. She said, if I could just touch this, I'll be well. Now, this represents not only the law, this, this represents the word of God. She said, if I can just 
I just need to get the word. I need to touch the word. And this represents Jehovah or Yahweh or Jesus to us now. Representation of him. Um, these also are referred to as wings. Wings. And when you find an Old Testament, uh, there's Old Testament verse. Uh, let's see if I can... Uh, find it here. It, in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 it says talking about the Messiah says when the son of righteousness he will rise with healing in his wings. She's a Jewish woman. She knew what this meant. She knew what this meant. To her this was the wings and it said that the Messiah there would be healing in his wings. You don't think she knew that? She knew that. She'd heard this before. She said, if I can just touch that, there's healing underneath his wings. And the Bible talks about finding shelter on the wings. We know that God doesn't have any feathers or wings. So he's talking about his nature of caring, protecting. He's talking about, uh, talking about many references, talking about this. And also, we understand with this, I won't. I won't do this, but when you put this when you put this over your shoulders, and then when you drape it over your head and pull it down over your head, the Jewish people, particularly of Jesus' day, that's what they would normally do when they would really want to separate themselves and focus in prayer. They just take this and pull it up over their head and pray. Do you know what they refer to that as? The prayer closet. Jesus said, when you pray, go in your closet. He wasn't talking about going to your clothes closet and opening the door and getting in it and closing it. He was talking about this. Now it's good to have a private place to go pray. No one necessarily don't follow this. But the, the symbolism and the truth here is just quite amazing because in her own mind and heart, that's, that's what she saw. That's what she saw. She said, if I can just approach him, it was her point of contact. She says, I believe, I believe he's a Messiah. I believe there's healing in his wings. And if I can just touch him, I will be well. Does that make anybody else happy in this house? Yeah, yeah me too. Praise God. Now, it says uh, in verse 29, it says immediately, the bleeding stopped when she touched him. She says, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And Jesus realized immediately that healing power of virtue had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked what seems to be a ridiculous question, who touched me? Who touched me? Have you ever been in line to a ball game or something or some concert or some people wanting to get in there? Let me tell you, whether you want to be or not, there's a lot of people touching you. We, the Old Testament calls it, uh, the New Testament calls it here, thronged. They thronged about him. And so there were people brushing up all against him. He's walking along and this woman comes from behind and touches the hem of his garment and immediately something happened is drawn from his body, healing virtue into this woman. He looks around and he realizes that. 
He knows this wasn't just somebody brushing up against him. This was somebody that was coming in faith. Now that was an important sentence I just said. This wasn't just somebody that was brushing up against him casually. This is someone that was coming and he's coming in faith. And when she did that, something amazing happened. Jesus said, who touched my robe? And then of course the disciples said the, the obvious. Look at the crowd, Jesus, they're all around you. How can you ask who touched me? But it said he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what, she, what had happened to her, she came and fell to her knees. There you go again. She fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Well, what had she done? She'd risked her life. This woman with the issue of blood was declared unclean. She was supposed to be isolated. She was not allowed in the temple. Anything, anyone she touched was considered unclean. All these people she was rubbing up against in the crowd were temporarily would be declared unclean. Jesus himself in their thinking would be declared unclean. She risked the possibility of being stoned to death. But she pushed on in, in faith. She pushed on in faith. She said, I, I'm the one that did it, Lord. I, I, I did it. Verse 34, here's what Jesus said to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. He didn't say, daughter, I made you well. Now, of course, he was the healer. He is the healer. But the healing came through faith. Had she not touched him in faith, she would have stayed sick, I believe, and died. She said, you're well. You are well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. What kind, what kind of words would those be? If you, for 12 years you've been going through this type of hell on earth and all these things are happening and it's not getting any better and now you have no money and there's no hope, and you're isolated, and there's no one around you that can help. And your one last hope grows into expectation. If I can just touch, there's healing in his wings, and I don't care what I have to risk, I'm going to go for it. And I don't know exactly what all is going to be involved in this, but I'm going to believe, and when she follows through with this, Jesus answers with encouraging, faith-building words and said, your faith has made you well. Now you can go. And the astounding words, your suffering is over. You've been going through this for 12 years and somebody tell you that it's over. It didn't mean that she was going to die and go to heaven. That's one way for it to get over. I understand that. But now she could live out her life with family and grow. Amazing. Now, back to Jairus for just a moment. He'd come to Jesus urgently, fervently. Please come. My daughter's dying. Jesus said, okay, let's go. On the way, they have this little encounter with some woman, we don't even know her name, 
who comes up there and touches him and Jesus is there asking all about him, standing around and talking, standing around and talking with her and you've got a daughter that's dying while you are waiting. While you're waiting. It's in between the prayer and the there it is. It's not always easy because there are interruptions. Yes? Yes? There are interruptions sometimes. Didn't want to get too loud. Some of the kids think I'll get to hollering, hollering back here, but this is, of course, this is important. So important. So there's a delay. In verse 35, pick it with me there. It says, while Jesus was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And they said, here's what they told him. Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher, the rabbi, don't trouble Jesus anymore. When you receive really, if, if you've ever been to a point where you've just heard some really bad news, I mean, you, you think that, and, and you know, and you, you're kind of in this place of, of you know, you've, his daughter was dying, and you certainly, he was, you know, you know what must have been going on inside of him. How would you feel? And, and won't you, you just want him there. You just feel like if he'll be there, then she'll live. And now we've been delayed. And all of this, all of this is, all this is happening there. And then after they, you know, you got one of the first thoughts you have to have. Well, if she hadn't stopped us, you, we would have gotten there in time. Sometimes when things don't happen the way we want them to, when we want them to, it's easy then to start getting this little attitude. Well, if so-and-so hadn't, if this hadn't happened. But as soon as they heard that, Jesus stepped on the scene. This is important. Verse 36. But Jesus overheard them, and as soon as he overheard them, immediately, he said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. This is an important key. When you're hit with something that tries to take you into a place of fear, when you're hit, it may deal with you, you know, in your mind. There may be things... That, Emotionally, you're dealing with it for a moment. But you need to, like Jesus, you need to immediately step on and place. Oh, no, here's what the Word of God says. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't give up. Verse 37. So Jesus stopped the crowd, didn't want the whole crowd going with him. He just took his inner circle, Peter, James, and John with him. They came to the home of Jairus there. And there was a big commotion and weeping going on. The child was, was dead there and they had their professional wailers and weepers and it was loud and a horrible scene there and they, they're gathered around. It, it, was not, it was not ham and potato salad here, folks. This was serious wailing and weeping going on after her death. Jesus went inside and he asked, what's all the commotion and weeping about? This child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, ridiculed him, but he made them all leave. He took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples in the room with him. I love to see the authority of Jesus. I love to see the authority when there's, when there's faith. Everybody's gathered around. They don't believe. They're only believing in death. They're not believing in life. They're only looking at circumstances. They don't have any faith. 
All they can do is see what's wrong. When you are in a, when you are in a serious time of prayer, you need to be quite cautious about who you allow to surround you and sow and pour into your life. When I need, when I need help, when I need someone to pray with me, I'm not going to surround myself with a bunch of moaning, groaning people who don't really believe the Word of God. You don't need that. You need to surround yourself with a circle that says, yes, I believe with yes. All these people were saying, no. Jesus said, all you know people, out, go. And he only took the yes people inside. Mom and dad probably were struggling with it, but if there's anybody that wanted that little girl to get up, it was mom and dad. I have to believe that faith was still there in Jairus and those parents. So they go into the room there where the girl, little girl is lying and taking her by the hand, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic, which simply means little girl get up. Verse 42. And the girl who was 12 years old, isn't that ironic? This woman had suffered as long as this little girl had lived. She'd been sick for 12 years. This little girl only lived 12 years. Little girl, 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around, and they were overwhelmed, totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders. Don't tell anyone what happened. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Now understand the, the reason why he needed to keep some things as silently as he could because the crowds would have been so great there he would have never been able to pursue his mission, his goal. They had been hindered by just the crowds of people. But give me a break. All this crowd knows that this little girl is dead. She's dead and now she comes out of the house and everybody's rejoicing, jumping up and down. I can't imagine what that mom and dad must have been doing. And all this happens. He says, oh, by the way, I don't want you to tell anybody. Listen, when something powerful, something life-changing, something life-giving, something dramatic, something real, when the power of God is really in your life, we, it should bring us to a point to where we can't help but tell people what he's done for us. Yes? Yes. So stand. Stand even when you don't feel like it. Stand even when nothing seems to be happening or changing. Stand even when others mock you or oppose you. Stand when the enemy attacks you. And when you stand, stand confidently. Stand rejoicing. Now, obedience, sometimes we need to take action. Sometimes we need to stay in place. Sometimes there's things to do. Sometimes it's time just to stay in place. Here's, understand it. When we say, as you're praying, learn to stand, stand doesn't always mean stand still. People will pray and their faith is way old. I just wait for God to do something. Wait for God to do something. God's, God is doing something. He wants you to do something too. He's He's moving in your life and there are places to obey and follow him for him to do. So that finally, the fourth thing, the final thing between the amen, there it is. I just use, I just use the word serve. While you're waiting, serve. The word, one of the meanings 
of the word wait, wait upon the Lord, means to serve the Lord. Just like a waiter, a waitress serves a table. So while you're waiting, let's just not wait around. Let's be sensitive to what the Lord is telling us to do and be. Sometimes your answer is found as you are serving and blessing someone else. Isn't that right? If you just focused on your own needs and everything, whatever, all right, you just present that before the Lord and trust Him and then listen to Him. He may have someone that you really have an opportunity to touch or minister to or help. And you say, well, look, Lord, I got all this going on in my life. He said, no, look, serve, serve. Do this as unto me. And if you'll just turn loose, trust Him and move in obedience as you serve someone else. Heaven, life, health, needs that need to be, things that need to be met in your life can come your direction. Obedience, serving is extremely important. Romans chapter 12 says, uh, it tells us, he says, present your bodies, verse 1 says, present your bodies holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or which is your spiritual worship. So as you're waiting, present yourselves in spiritual worship. One of the best ways you can wait is to be a worshiper while you're waiting. I'm waiting a little bit. I'm worshiping you today. I'm, I'm worshiping. And then be in action. Serve. Minister others. We need to be doing what we're supposed to be doing so that when the time comes for us to receive from God, we are ready. Of that. Wow, that's some good preaching. Seriously, the things we've talked about this morning can be life-changing. I know that we say that about a lot of things we say because God's Word will change our lives. But this is an area where people struggle during this waiting time, seeing that there it is in their life. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, Those who wait upon the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in Him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. While you're waiting, worship. Serve. Wait before the Lord. He'll renew your strength. You can rise up like eagles. Sometimes you just need to be energized in your praying, don't you? You'll run, not be weary. You'll walk, not faint. Okay, Lord, that's where I want to be while I'm waiting. I'm not going to be weary in my waiting and I'm not going to faint or give up. Amen.